everyone. Welcome to this Roundup. The COVID-19 pandemic is threatening human health and lives of people across nations. Since this virus is highly contagious and is causing severe respiratory disease, it has quickly overwhelmed public health systems. While most nations and its governments have responded by declaring a public health emergency and are adopting known measures to prevent the infectivity and limit the viral outbreak, millions of lives have been significantly altered and there is no going back. As COVID-19 continues to radically transform daily life for everyone, there are many growing concerns about the state of public health. To discuss this further, I'm delighted to welcome Professor Dr. Rajesh Balakrishnan to this roundup. Professor Dr. Balakrishnan, he's a professor of public health at University of Virginia School of Medicine, and his research program focuses on health services and epidemiology related to global medical care access focused on long-term pharmacological treatment of medical conditions. Dr. Balakrishnan has published over 350 papers, books, and book chapters, and has been recognized nationally and internationally for his expertise in effectiveness research and evaluation. He's based in the United States. Welcome, Professor Balakrishnan. We are so very honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure. Wonderful, Professor Balakrishnan. So the world is hit with a pandemic. It's caused by a virus and millions of people are impacted. Hundreds of thousands are in order, already dead. Amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, the one question that comes to everyone's mind is, is our healthcare system effective? I think you raise a really good point. I think uh, one of the things that this particular pandemic has really exposed is sort of the gaps in our system. Uh, I think our investments in public health um, especially with regards to um, outbreak um, epidemiology and control uh, are not quite there yet. Uh, I think we do not have in our systems the ability to respond in a timely and effective manner uh, to address uh, these type of pandemic outbreaks. I think um, a lot can be done uh, very quickly uh, but when, when, when such pandemics occur, uh, time is of the essence. So one has to act very, very quickly, um, even delaying um, actions by a little bit, uh, such as um, requiring complete isolation or, or, or people not to sort of uh, interact with each other uh, within close physical distances um, have to be sort of implemented immediately. So one of the things I think uh, which, which really uh, we are lacking in our systems is the ability to predict the risk of um, the actual risk and the impact of several of these uh, pandemics. Um, and I, I, I believe as we are going to see um, uh, a growing increase in, in the number of such public health emergencies. And I think it's time now that we begin to invest in systems uh, that are truly prepared to address such emergencies. Absolutely. No, I, I, I hear your point and we have to be very concerned about the current state of this pandemic because, you know, if we are going to hit with a pandemic that is caused by a virus, then how are we managing that pandemic? If we look at this pandemic, we are managing it pretty much the same way as our last pandemic that was the, you know, uh, Spanish flu. 
So right. if we look at the measures that we have taken currently, then we think about it. What have we learned in a century? Where have we made advances and where we have not, you know, focused? And like you said, that we have not focused much on the investment in public health system. Now, to understand the effectiveness of medical care, it is important to understand healthcare and human health. So how are we understanding human health and what determines the human health and who is actually responsible for human health? I think, you know, public health research in this country has demonstrated the effectiveness of many interventions and technologies like vaccines. Yet there sort of seems to be a reluctance to adopt many of these technologies uh, when their effectiveness has been clearly shown. Uh, a lot of this is because of political bias uh, and because of other agendas uh, that, that are in place, unfortunately. One of the issues with viruses is that um, they sort of mutate fairly quickly. Uh, they sort of develop resistance uh, very quickly. And, um, and we do not, and they tend to at, uh, especially attack really immunocompromised individuals. So I, I really think, um, you know, uh, we have not paid enough attention to the importance of developing uh, effective vaccines, uh, developing effective strategies to, to combat uh, these type of pandemics. And some of these don't require a huge uh, infrastructure. They just require a plan of action in place uh, to sort of like kind of begin acting almost immediately and hit the ground running uh, when such an attack occurs. Um, unfortunately, um, uh, we, we clearly see this, and especially this is true uh, in the United States, which has been impacted the most uh, because of this pandemic, is that the messages that are being sent um, in terms of the need to maintain physical distances and sort of um, truly take precautions against uh, spreading the virus, because this one can pretty easily be spread by direct respiratory contact, uh, are not in place. Um, many individuals, um, uh, including those in, in high positions of power, are still continuing to either deny that this pandemic is real or to downplay the seriousness of, of what has happened uh, when the actual numbers seem to suggest otherwise. Where we have, we are approaching close to 2 million individuals in the United States who have tested positive for the virus and the death toll is, is, has reached 100,000. So, um, so this, is, this is probably going to get to the situation where the US will have total number of cases more than the rest of the world combined. Um, and I think a lot of this is because of the mixed messaging related to public health um, that is going out over there. And, um, we just, we just not, are not in a position to do that. I know that this is a country that is driven by ec uh, economy and uh, economics. And so uh, a large period of time where, uh, where people are not going to work seriously hampers uh, the economy. But the truth still remains that we have still not reached a safe enough situation that it is uh, it is possible to resume 
uh, normal human life quite yet in the United States. In fact, we are far from it. Many of the states are still showing uh, an increase in the daily number of new reported cases of COVID positive patients. Sure, no, I, I understand your point and there is a lot of confusion and there is a lot of uh, uh, different, you know, thought uh, leadership in how we should proceed, especially, you know, if you look at the uh, risk of to human life, you know, how many people could die from this pandemic versus if the supply, you know, if we stay closed, if we don't open our economy, then the systems will start uh, shutting down and the, the global supply chain will start, you know, uh, getting uh, impacted. And once the global supply chain gets impacted, for instance, you know, the food industry, the agriculture mm -hmm. industry, if that, those go, gets impacted, then probably millions and millions of people will die. And that is the fear, you know, behind a lot of the decisions that many governments, not just our government, but many governments are making. Uh, that, you know, if the supply chain breaks, and especially if the food supply chain breaks, then what would be the impact? For instance, right now, there is a lot of concern that, you know, Africa, in Africa, a lot of people will die, millions will die, because, not because of the virus, but because of the hunger and famine that will follow because of the broken supply chain. So those are, you know, very different uh, decisions that, you know, every country's decision maker is, you know, focused on. But the real challenge is here that this is a virus, it's a particle. And there are trillions of particles in our ecosystem. There are trillions of, you know, microbes, if you look at it inside our body, on our body. And if we look at how our human genome, what our human genome is made of, every time we get a viral infection, our body, you know, the viruses leave behind the sudden, you know, of your of their genome and our I read somewhere that, you know, almost half of our human genome is made up of viruses. So the pandemic, uh, you know, that we are going through, it is going to change us as a species because, you know, the virus, it will leave behind uh, certain characteristics. We will develop certain new traits because of it very likely. That is how human evolution has, you know, largely occurred. So this is a very, very unique time where of course we are very very concerned about how many people uh, are going to be impacted because of this and who is dying and who who is most impacted it's also a very you know curious time scientifically that where are we going to reach as a species and uh, what's going to be the impact of this pandemic and if we what has changed in our ecosystem that has allowed this pandemic to happen because we humans and microorganisms have been living in symbiosis. Sure. Of course, you know, some, you know, microbes uh, sure. are, you know, deadly and, you know, that can kill us. But what has changed in our ecosystem that we have got this, you know, rapid spread of this, you know, virus, that is something, you know, everybody's trying to figure out. And as we, as we know that this has impacted the society at its very core. So the sure. question is, it's not just about the human health crisis or how many people will die. This is a societal crisis. Do you see that we are impacted at our very core and it's not just a health crisis or economic crisis, but it has become a societal crisis? No, definitely. I absolutely totally agree with you because we uh, you know, we are seeing uh, a lot of impact on, on society because of the virus. Just to give you an example, uh, there are studies which are showing that because of the 
the COVID isolation, the incidence of domestic violence cases has drastically increased uh, in the country. So, um, so again, this sort of tells you how uh, something like this, which is sort of a virus cause, uh, truly impacts society, um, you know, and impacts our societal structure and societal fabric. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that, that I would really urge people to be very cautious about is sort of the overt optimism about a vaccine um, and how, how, how soon it's going to be developed. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's not that easy to, to develop a vaccine that is not only effective, but also safe in large populations. So uh, just to sit back and think that there'll be, um, uh, this COVID is going to be behind us uh, in a matter of months and there's gonna be a vaccine uh, almost uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a few weeks, I think um, is a little too optimistic uh, given, uh, given the current scenario. I think, um, Obviously, the stress and strain, uh, which is created because of the economic impacts this has had because of people losing their jobs and so on and uh, so forth, is also going to trickle down into society. Um, I think um, I think we're already seeing like uh, panicky behaviors at grocery stores um, uh, in some places in uh, in places of public transportation. Uh, we are seeing um, a, a very, very uh, troubling behavior. So I, I agree with you that um, that this is a troublesome uh, situation for the world, and uh, especially in those areas which sort of depend on other places for sustenance. Like you mentioned, like there's a lot of um, issues in Africa with food security, but we are seeing a huge food security issue here in the United States um, as well. Uh, there are there are images daily in the news about the long queues of individuals who are waiting outside food banks uh, to just get groceries uh, for their family. So I think um, this is a very very scary situation. Um, you know, one of the other things also is that. Um, uh, in an effort to push the economy, we have lost a lot of self-reliance. Um, uh, of course, we are very naturally gifted. So luckily, most of the food that we need is still produced in the United States. It's not, it's not imported from other places. But, but for almost anything else, including pharmaceuticals, uh, we are dependent on other economies uh, because they can produce it uh, much more cheaply than we can do. I think this is also a time to maybe start building some internal capacities as well uh, to, to maintain society and economies uh, when situations like this crop up, uh, you know, and we are unable to depend on the, the global uh, commercial supply to meet our daily needs. This is obviously, it has exposed a lot of gaps in our system. Society definitely has been impacted, uh, I think, um, in more ways uh, than one. And many of the impacts, as you correctly say, will filter down for generations, not, um, not just in the next few months or years even. Um, <laughs> you are, you're absolutely right about the, the, the body sort of DNA makeup being altered. Uh, because of um, issues pertaining to this virus. 
Um, I just think um, all around, um, this has opened up a lot of uh, avenues uh, for us to make better decisions about public policy and public health. Very true. No, you, it, it, I agree with what you just said. And you know, the vaccines, uh, there are many uh, entrepreneurs, innovators, scientists who are working on, you know, developing vaccines. But this is a very complex, unique virus because it impacts the human immune system and it makes it go operational, you know, completely out of control. So a lot of damage that we are seeing in human lungs is, you know, it created by our own body. It's not by the virus. So it's very unique. And by the time we come to understand any microbe that causes a pandemic and, you know, and the study it and, you know, come up with a proper effective way to create a vaccine, it takes almost a year. You are right about it. It's not something that can be done in a week. So we need to come up with better ways to manage and not just this pandemic, but also any other pandemic that may be coming our way, epidemic pandemic that could be coming our way because we need to make sure that what we are doing as a country, of course, you know, we need self-sufficiency in all of our systems, at least critical systems. But that, you know, if we see any microbe that is not known entering into our country through, you know, air or any other means, then we need to get that information in a timely manner so we can, you know, figure out new other ways to probably, you know, prevent the spread of the disease. So there are a lot of things we need to do and hopefully with the advances in science and technology, especially, you know, artificial intelligence and internet of mm -hmm. things, biosensor technology will be able to develop, you know, futuristic system that can prevent these kind of scenarios. But as we see this COVID-19 impacting, and like you said, you know, the, yes, domestic violence has, you know, increased. At the same time, we are also seeing the increase, huge increase in loneliness. And mm -hmm. as we, you know, in our risk report that we publish every year, this year's risk report, uh, loneliness is one of the top 10 risks, you know, facing humanity mm -hmm. because with increase in loneliness, there is all, you know, interconnected risk that increases and actually it, call, it plays a major role in, you know, human health and disease. So from what we know by now about this pandemic, who is hit the hardest? You know, we know that uh, loneliness and, you know, domestic violence and all those, you know, are increasing, but which, you know, who is being hit the hardest, you know, from your assessment at this point? So I think this is very good. I think obviously, given the nature of this virus, it's, it's hugely impacting individuals who are immunocompromised, uh, as well as groups like the elderly, uh, for example, who are, um, uh, you know, uh, at highest risk of, of physical debilitation because, because of the virus. Um, I think those would be sort of the groups that uh, if you were to sort of look at uh, the people uh, across a section of people who have been tested positive and who are um, uh, are uh, sort of dying because of the virus, you, would, you will see a disproportionate uh, case of uh, patients who are racial ethnic minorities, for example, are patients in lower socioeconomic groups who are more likely to be impacted by the virus. And that is because they do not have those type of luxuries that are sort of needed to be able to socially self-isolate or um, 
to be able to, uh, they, they are in jobs that require them to still continue to work uh, in spite of these adverse conditions. So, um, so it is very clear that uh, individuals uh, who are racial ethnic minorities, who are socioeconomically disadvantaged, are going to be uh, uh, social, uh, impacted the most. And this, this sort of gets back to the whole issue about investments in public health. You know, to invest in public health, one needs to understand the concept of social welfare. You know, um, it cannot it cannot always be about I make money, so I don't need to sort of invest into sort of a better social system around me. I think I think most of the countries which have been surveyed, where the crime rate is low and people are happy, are the countries where there's a lot of investments in social welfare, uh, whether it's Japan or whether it's Switzerland. Um, these countries have really invested a lot of money into social welfare because the taxation structure is higher. Um, and a lot of money from uh, people who are rich is sort of uh, taken away uh, and put into sort of uh, welfare systems that, uh, that predominantly benefit individuals uh, of lower socioeconomic status. Uh, so I think this is how we sort of need to view public health. Public health has always been a stepchild for our policymakers because it is not seen as um, uh, an immediate investment. Uh, unlike, say, like a sexy new technology or something like that, uh, which will uh, sell X amount of units and rake so many revenues, um, investments in public health and public health systems and infrastructures require a lot of costs up front. But people need to realize that they will pay for themselves down the road. Uh, you know, so by having healthier people and healthier societies, uh, these investments that we make into, um, into, into building and strengthening these systems of surveillance as well as um, community health will pay for itself several times over. And, and this, is, this, this has been shown by an epidemic like this, whereby it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. If you lived in New York City and were exposed to the air over there, I mean, you know, you got the virus no matter what happened. So, uh, I, for example, I know of, of a friend of mine who's a millionaire and who has been uh, in and out of three hospitals uh, already uh, with the COVID-19. So this is not a, a, this virus does not distinguish between people who are rich or who are poor. So it's time for us to begin to think as a society about investing into things that no, don't necessarily immediately translate into profits for us but will go into making this earth a better place. Now you asked me, why do, you, why do we see a sudden increase in all this? I mean, it's because we have changed as human beings, we have changed the ecosystem so much to the point that the ecosystem can no longer handle the abuses that we have heaped on it. Whether it is environmental pollution or contamination or modifications um, that we have done in our quest, uh, to make um, a more profit, we have depleted uh, the sources, um, uh, the balance in the environment that is, is needed. And so right now we are living in a dangerously imbalanced 
ecosystem, uh, which is totally incapable of uh, self-adjusting to a viral pandemic such as this. Sure, no, I understand your point. But when we talk about investment in public health systems and developing social welfare systems, what is your vision of that? How should it look like? Because, you know, we are investing a lot of money in uh, healthcare, you know, insurance, and we are putting in, uh, depending on the insurance system to take care of many of the problems, but obviously it is not the right way to go. So what should those social welfare system look like? What should the public, you know, investment in the public health look like? I think maybe we can just start with universal healthcare insurance coverage for all Americans, uh, just as an example, uh, at least kind of have basic preventative uh, medical services available to, to all Americans. Uh, you know, we are the only kind of uh, developed nation in the world which does not have at least a basic universal healthcare insurance uh, for, all, uh, for all individuals. So uh, we still have about 15% uh, of our population, which has no healthcare insurance coverage at all. Uh, also, uh, we don't have any type of price control on healthcare technologies. Uh, so it sort of gives people the, uh, the levy to price medicines and other sort of essential drugs at any levels they want. And that, that sort of puts healthcare out of reach for a lot of individuals in this country. For many families in this country, the only way of getting um, access to healthcare is by ending up in the emergency department. And then they are at the, at, at, at the mercy of uh, whether or not they can, um, they can um, the hospital can accept them as a charitable case or not. So, uh, I mean, I think we still have some ways to go. Um, I think, um, I think, uh, you know, uh, one of the things like the Affordable Care Act, which uh, President Obama uh, put together was a definitely a positive step in that direction. But what we are saying over the last three or four years is that a lot of those, uh, those positive changes that were made are being reversed. And, um, you know, and I know this because I work in areas um, which are socioeconomically deprived. And reversing a lot of the requirements of the Affordable Care Act, like requiring insurers to be in areas of high patient risk, um, has been reversed. And many of the insurers have pulled out of areas like Appalachia, where they know that they are not going to make a profit by providing healthcare services. So I think um, we really have some ways to go uh, in terms of. Uh, beginning to recognize uh, that there needs to be certain investments made. Uh, like, for example, uh, there was a pandemic task force that was set up by uh, President Obama, which was disbanded, um, and uh, which could have uh, potentially formulated policy much more quickly. Um, estimates are coming out now that we could have saved 30 to 35,000 lives uh, in the United States had we sort of immediately started the physical distancing um, and not waiting uh, till there were 
uh, many cases before before many of those policies were put in effect. So I think we need to have better systems in place. Uh, maybe our investments are not going the right way, are not being used appropriately. But we, as you correctly pointed out, we have health information technology at our fingertips. And health information technology overall is very cost effective. And I think it still remains, um, its potential is vast and it doesn't, it remains untapped quite a bit. Uh, I think um, we can easily put together better risk prediction models and have those sort of ready to go whenever we are faced with emergencies like this to immediately shape policies. And that's what I do is we need data. We need real world data to shape our health policy, not politics. Absolutely. And unfortunately, that is what is happening today is it's politics and not real data that is shaping healthcare policy. And that is not the way it should be. Sure, no, I agree with you that we do need real data as the foundation of any and all policies that we uh, define and design. So to have effective systems, and if we talk about the uh, insurance, yes, of course, everybody should, you know, have right to, to their insurance, that they should be able to purchase the insurance. But at the same time, what should a health insurance look like? Because if we look at the system right now, that every anyone who has access to the insurance, they go and they get treatment for whatever you know problems they are facing. Yeah. But but should, we are you know not seeing human accountability into any of those systems when the insurance industry started. For example, if you wanted uh, insurance on your home, they would come and you know check whether you have yeah. chimney, whether you have this or that. Right. Now. You know, if you look at the health insurance, it, most of the you know time it's employers that they provide health insurance, so everybody is you know eligible for that. Otherwise, you know everybody can sign on that. You know, yes, your premium if you are signing independently, your premium may be higher if you have the existing condition. Right. But at the same time, there is absolutely no human accountability. Now, yeah. it, is, it is it is our own you know responsibility to keep us healthy. Yeah, that is true. responsibility to make sure that we eat healthy food and that we don't eat junk food that we you know uh, take care of our you know stress levels that we you know exercise regularly all those variables that play a role in keeping us healthy none of them are you know playing any role in our insurance you know how we get our health insurance yeah unfortunately we're not i think this is a good point that you make i think you know what is sort of needed here is a basic healthcare insurance system um that that will provide a basic level of services to sort of keep us healthy anything above and beyond that should be and this is what most of the other countries in the european union australia and canada have done um, is is they provide a basic level of health insurance uh, to keep you healthy. Anything above and beyond that is your call. Um, so again, uh, but at least it sort of ensures that people who are at the worst possible risk of developing health outcomes are getting some type of basic access uh, to health care and are not being left out. I completely agree with your point about we've not built enough um, accountability into our systems. But, but you know, um, many of the private health insurance systems, for example, have, have developed various strategies to do what they call as managed care, you know, managed healthcare insurance, whereby they promote uh, more preventive health um, and, and, and thereby 
uh, decrease uh, sort of um, healthcare uh, that will potentially be very expensive and also be very debilitating for the patient by by encouraging patients to uh, to lead a healthier lifestyle. Um, unfortunately, um, uh, this is this is this is. Uh, something which is inherent in our system. Uh, I don't think uh, we sort of um, incentivize individuals enough uh, to lead healthy lifestyles. Uh, for example, it's so much more expensive in this country to shop for healthier foods uh, than it is to just pop in and eat uh, fast food. Um, and and um, and so with many families struggling to put food on the table, uh, it's easier to, to buy junk food and satisfy uh, your hungry kids than to uh, go to Whole Foods uh, and, 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 and buy like um, uh, organic food uh, to feed your family. So, so again, I think um, we can do more to incentivize healthier uh, diets and lifestyles, uh, encourage exercise uh, right from school uh, uh, itself, so there's a lot of things we can do to promote sort of healthier uh, sort of ecosystems that that I'm not saying they're not being done. They're not just being implemented uniformly. And what you find often are pockets. Um, there are areas where all this is happening and areas like rural areas, areas with high rates of uh, individuals who are racial minorities or, or poor communities which are not getting that level of investment uh, into, in, into, this, uh, in, in, into these healthy behavioral programs. So I think uh, there's a long way uh, we, can, we can go uh, to try to make um, a sort of healthy, a uniform thing for, uh, for all Americans. Absolutely. No, I hear your point. I mean, there are many interconnected variables that we need to focus on. It's not as simple as, uh, you know, we think. And especially if we are looking at uh, providing basic health care, everyone, to everybody, irrespective of whether they can afford it or not, the current system probably will be, you know, not able to manage that. But as we move towards the developing systems based on AI, it should be very, you know, affordable and it should be very easy for each and every country to provide that basic healthcare to all their citizens at no cost. Because once you set up those AI doctors and, you know, you set up that system, it should not be that difficult. But it's a still a long way to go. And your point of incentivizing good behavior, you know, good accountability in how uh, what steps everyone needs to take, that is also definitely going to play a role because yes, we can have a global surveillance system of, you know, you know, you can develop what everyone eats or what, you know, they are doing every single day. We can def define and design those uh, surveillance systems. But at the same time, we have to ask ourselves that are those surveillance systems worth, you know, losing our autonomy, basic fundamental autonomy? Because if, you know, someone asked me, I want to have the freedom in choosing what I eat, what I want to eat, sure. what I want to do with my life, what I want to, you know, uh, what the path of medical treatment I want to right. know, uh, treating disease or how I want to stay healthy. That should be my individual right. But at the same time, we want to come up with an effective system especially now because we are opening up, you know, the economy and uh, right. the across mo most countries, 
uh, have decided that they are going to open up the economy even when the cases have not gone down because of the you know their concerns about the economy and the breaking of supply chains which would create much more you know severe damage so the governments have decided to open up the economy which i which we can understand but as we begin opening up our economy what should be in place for rebalancing the societal needs for making sure that we don't end up in such a situation that we have explosion you know explosive number of cases which our healthcare system may not be able to manage at this point no i think i think you raise a very good point i think it is it is very clear i think uh, what we need to impact and you know every day you turn on the news and you see all these individuals who are just frolicking in pools uh, and beaches right now uh, there's no social distancing at all in place um ultimately what what this kind of shows is that we are not uh, impacting on people uh, the 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 true nature how uh, risky behaviors like this not only puts themselves at risk and so that's fine if you if you don't want to if you want to live your life your way that's fine but 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 you are also compromising someone else's life for the worse and i think this uh, by your behaviors and i think um, this is where i think we sort of need to uh, sort of uh, implement in our educational systems um, and uh, in our public health efforts uh, the need uh, to for community and for social responsibility i think which is which is somewhat lacking right now uh, it cannot all be about the individual um, at some point in time even if you are totally capable of making decisions yourself and you are intelligent and you are uh, you don't have any mental health impediments that will uh, prevent you from making um, appropriate rational decisions you still have to think about society you still have to think about the actions your behaviors uh, in public will have on 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 on, on society um, and its health and I think that's where we sort of need to need to do more work quite seriously. No, absolutely. Not everyone is able to make the right decisions with mm -hmm. the information that they have available. So you're absolutely right that not everyone is informed, not everyone is educated, not everyone is capable of making the right decisions for themselves or the mm -hmm. people, you know, in their families or in their surroundings. So, Yes, there is a place for the public health systems. There is a place for government. There is a place for all these different systems that we need to design to make sure that the society operates and functions effectively. So how, where would you like to see changes if we talk about our country, United States? I, I really think we really need more investments in public health, quite frankly. I mean, one of the things, for example, many, it was sort of what, what we actually saw is in this epidemic is that many of even the larger hospitals were not, uh, uh, there were not enough uh, gowns, not enough masks available. Uh, of course, there were not enough testing kits available. So clearly it showed that we have not made any effort into into equipping our healthcare systems with sort of some of the basic things they need uh, to be able to do surveillance and control i think maybe that's a good place to start is to sort of make sure all our hospitals 
are fully equipped with protective safety gear and are equipped with sort of um, and 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 testing uh, supplies can be uh, shipped quickly to these hospitals. Uh, they are produced internally. Um, we don't have to depend on another country to have those testing kits kind of uh, shipped to us so that we can send it to our hospitals. Uh, I think we sort of really need, and this is my point about developing at least some self-reliance uh, with regards to public health. And as I said, the investments in public health have been much lower than you think because people only see it as an expense. Uh, they don't see any immediate sort of gains associated with it. And they say, well, you know, um, it will require uh, some type of a large epidemic to happen before these are used. Well, you have it right here, right now, uh, when you kind of had that attitude and said that you didn't want to equip yourself, uh, you are right now in that situation where you don't know what to do uh, when you're faced with that epidemic. So it's always better to be safe than sorry. And that's what public health is all about. And I am hoping that... Um, this truly increases the investments of agencies like the National Institutes of Health uh, into public health because right now we see a lot of monies which are being invested into healthcare technologies, but but there's not much money being invested into sort of improving social systems uh, of health. Sometimes just investments in social systems of health are, are enough to prevent uh, the need for these expensive uh, healthcare technologies that are needed when we are when we are dealing with uh, with uh, with the impact of uh, some of the imbalances that we have created in 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 large in in the larger ecosystem. No, absolutely. I think uh, nation preparedness is a topic that needs to be discussed very seriously because, as we have seen, that no country was prepared. And uh, we did not, uh, there are you know, a lot of different uh, views coming up that we did not get time to prepare ourselves. Because no, but some other countries like South Korea and Japan, they were able to control uh, the epidemic very fast. I mean, yes, they did have a few cases, but they immediately acted and they were able to, uh, to get the epidemic under control. We were not able to do that. Yes, and that is a topic of uh, discussion that we need to discuss that. That right. where did we fail? Where were the gaps? And what we can do? So we can make our systems resilient. We can make our country resilient to any and all of these kind of risks that comes our way. Because if this pandemic happened today, then you know it's possible that you know any many more pandemics could be coming our way. Because if the system, the ecosystem is in imbalance, then you know it's not just this virus, many other viruses, many other bacteria, many other microorganisms could come our way. So we do need to make sure that we have effective way of getting real-time alerts. We do need to make sure that our countries are you know, self-sustainable and our basic needs for healthcare, for you know, food and all the different things that we need for our survival, that we are self-sufficient. We de develop that and we grow that and we produce that right here in our country. And so that we don't have to depend on other countries, especially in a time like this. So yes, there are a lot of you know uh, serious questions that are emerging because of this you know pandemic and our pandemic preparedness and you know how uh, challenging it was and it still is to manage this pandemic. So there is a lot of serious discussion that needs to happen 
and we need to come up together, you know, collectively. We have to come together to answer right. all questions so we can make our country more, you know, resilient. Because at the end of the day, if we are not able to prevent such, you know, serious uh, pandemics, then at the, at the future of hum the very future of humanity is is at risk. So nothing, you know, should be off the table. We need to discuss any and all variables that comes our way. So having said that. What would you like to tell those young, brilliant minds that are out there, medical professionals, innovators, you know, technology professionals, uh, who wants to, you know, play a role in not only managing this pandemic, but, you know, creating, you know, new ideas, coming up with new ideas, innovations, and, uh, you know, developing technologies and systems to prevent any future, you know, pandemic. What would you like to tell those young, brilliant minds? No, I think this, uh, the message I'd like to say is that it's really, really important that you'll be able to communicate about what all these exciting new technologies in a simple way that can even get your lay person to accept it, uh, to understand its value. So while we spend a lot of time in high-tech labs with high-tech things, doing uh, things, uh, all those technologies won't be useful until like you correctly pointed out, there are people don't see the value in it, don't see the importance of it, uh, don't feel the need for it. So I think um, ultimately at the end of the day, we want to sort of make sure that whatever we are doing in our life is, is not only improving lives for uh, people, um, uh, just ourselves, but also the community around us. So to have a sort of a sense of communal good and to sort of be able to talk about everything and anything you do with people across all cross sections of society, I think is a great skill to have. And for this, you don't have to be a great public speaker or you don't have to have any special training, but just uh, have an open mind and reach out um, and uh, and make friends with everyone and, and tell them what you're doing and get them excited in what you do. So I think uh, building that sense of community and building that sense of humankind um, is, is more important, especially uh, in times like this. Absolutely. That, de that developing that feeling of community or that community around you, you know, irrespective of whether it's at uh, your family level or your... Uh, uh, you know, village level or town level or a global level, the developing community is the most important, uh, you know, thing that we can do it today and in the, for the coming tomorrow. So thank you so much, Professor Balakrishnan. For thank you so much. Thank you. For participating in this round today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on health and social impact of COVID-19 and our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you have provided today. As a result, this Riskrana dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. So Risk Group is a strategic security risk research platform and community. Our ecosystem is the first and only cross-disciplinary and collective community that is made of top scientists, security professionals, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, policymakers, and academic institutions from across nations, collaborating to research, review, rate, and report strategic security risks to protect the future of humanity. Add your voice to risk groups, get involved to protect the future of humanity. Until next time, I'm Jayashree. Most of you stand up, signing up. See you next time. Thank you.